Welcome back to another episode of Tank Talks. We're going to dive into a very interesting topic that my partner Dominic Lau and I have been talking about internally for quite some time, which is the quest for DPI, distributions of paid in capital, and bringing transparency along with our fund portfolio construction model and how we can think about Canadian venture capital on a global scale and compare ourselves to some of the best investors in the world. So I'm going to turn it over to my partner, Dom, here. You know, he worked really hard on collecting a lot of the data that we saw being put together by the BDC report that came out recently about the Canadian venture capital landscape going all the way back to 2010 vintages and the sort of returns uh, across different vintages and DPI and sort of how we should be thinking about investing capital from Canada on a global platform and why we should be pushing the bar higher and higher. So, Dom, why don't I turn it over to you to give our audience a bit of an understanding of why we think this is an important topic to cover. Yeah, Matt and I are basically going through a fundraising process ourselves. And the biggest question and point, especially in this market environment that LPs are asking us is, hey, what is your historical performance on returning capital to investors? So what's your DPI? And personally, for the both of us, we've also been trying to find the Canadian benchmark. So we're very appreciative of the UDC team to go out there, report on all these metrics historically over the past decade of all the funds that they've invested in. And the impetus of this article was for us to explore what the historic Canadian returns were, how Ripple compares to those returns, as well as not just keeping the benchmark data within Canada, but also comparing to the best top tier funds in the world in the US as well. And we cover one of the top tier funds from a TPI perspective, which is Union Square Ventures and some of their earlier vintages as well. But what we want to do is basically leverage this conversation on DPI relevant to the historical enterprise value exits within Canada and how Ripple is positioning the strategy at the early stages with high ownerships and high concentration to build a portfolio that can have a better chance of returning capital as well as outperforming income. So that's kind of the lead up into where we saw conversations coming with LPs, the data that came out with BDC, and how we are positioning our fund as well as others uh, in this current market environment. Right. And so just to be clear, we're not trying to only highlight Ripple and what we're trying to do. We're trying to talk about the Canadian venture capital landscape at large by basing it off some of the data we got from the BDC report and then comparing it to the best in class, which is obviously the US venture capital industry, which has been around for 30, 40 more years than we have. So obviously we have a lot of catching up to do, but we're always trying to raise the bar here at Ripple. And that's why we decided to put this piece together. So maybe Dom, explain to our audience, like, what were some of the notable findings from the 2023 venture capital landscape report by BDC that you and I found very interesting? Yeah, the biggest was the DPI across vintages and what you see here. The earlier vintages, obviously there weren't too many funds around back in 2011 or even earlier than that. So the data is probably concentrated across a smaller pool of funds, but it was surprising to us to see that the upper quartile performance of those vintages were roughly 1.2 times DPI. And what that means is roughly the, the funds in that vintage, uh, the higher performers, they only returned the original capital and roughly 20% on top of that within a 10 plus year horizon. And the traditional benchmark that we've seen across top performing venture funds is a 3x, uh, or the target should be a 3x across that fund. So that was the main surprising thing that we saw from that, that data piece. 
Now, peeling back the layers of the onion, though, understanding why we can't necessarily be compared to the top performing asset classes in venture capital in the US is for a couple of reasons. Maybe explain to our audience why, because of how early our system is in developing itself, we are not seeing those kinds of returns just yet. From an exit perspective, if we compare the number of unicorns in Canada versus the US, the last data that came out uh, from a report in November 22, I think there were 25 unicorns in Canada. Uh, compared to like 700 to 1,000 uh, in the U.S. So the sheer scale of the enterprise value of companies in those two countries is so, so different. So that that's one of the big, biggest differences in driving DPI. Right. So the differences between the Canadian ecosystem when compared to the U.S. in terms of creating global winners and stronger outcomes is that the exits, the median exits in the U.S. are about six times larger than the average exit in Canada, correct? I think the numbers were 30 million versus like almost 200 million? Yeah, exactly. Right. But just judging something based on exits is not the reason why, you know, BDC and the Vicky mandates were put in place in the first place. Can you explain to your audience, you know, how those are supposed to be viewed from like supporting the earth ecosystem, which was pretty nascent, you know, 10 years ago, right? Yeah, let's talk a little bit about that because I think it's really important. Like 10 years ago, when like even when you first started raising capital for your first company, Turnstile, like the ecosystem was so nascent. Like there were barely any venture funds and let alone like early stage venture funds. And that's why there were programs like uh, BDC and Vicky that were started to basically jumpstart the private capital ecosystem paired with public capital to support venture capital funds to be created because it was so early and nascent. Tell me more about like maybe your experience like back in 2012 when you guys are starting out and what you saw in the early stage venture ecosystem and maybe like how you've seen Vicky and BDC help grow the ecosystem in the past like five to 10 years. Yeah, for sure. I mean, in 2011, 12, 13, there was really no venture capital dollars being invested in early stage venture, right? There was Omer's that was getting started. Matt Golden had started his first fund in 2012, I believe. You know, there were family offices, there were angel investors, but there was really no institutionalized structure to investing in early stage venture in Canada at that time. I think we had pitched over 300 plus investors at the time. Obviously, a lot of them said no, and that's why we had to kind of bootstrap the business. Um, so there just wasn't a lot of opportunities for founders to speak with, uh, you know, early stage investors. And, you know, seeing BDC and Vicky support more emerging managers who eventually became, you know, fund three, fund four, fund five managers, you know, 10 years later is an incredible outcome, even though we're talking here today about how maybe those uh, top quartile results are not as high as what we're seeing in the US, there still are tons of tertiary benefits that our ecosystem and our founders are benefiting from today that took place 10 years ago. Yeah, exactly. And the those programs were basically started out so that the public sector capital could support these venture funds and attract private capital. Because as you mentioned back then, the family offices, like they, they didn't know what startups and even like venture was. Like as you, as you mentioned, I think they thought, they thought venture was like hedge funds, like the level of risk, right? So it's, it's very different. And the government needed to step in with this awesome program to be able to educate the investors about this asset class, give the fund managers a chance to even get off the ground with their support, also with special kind of economics and fund structures. So that was very attractive for private capital investors to be able to come in. And what we want to do is acknowledge and appreciate these programs that are out there today that were able to jumpstart that ecosystem. But also we want to think about the long-term approach of making these programs even more viable and helping the Canadian venture landscape 
be competitive on a global field. What that looks like to us is judging venture capital funds, not only on paper returns or jobs created, but also it's about the returns, the superior returns, hopefully, that these venture funds are providing. So what we wanted to do is leverage this BDC piece and report to start the conversation around how we can benchmark Canada and think about strategies that work to create 3x plus net DPI funds in the ecosystem. Right. And so in the, in the, you know, the blog post, you know, we talked about the best of the best and, and how do we strive to be the best, uh, like, you know, some of these US funds, which is obviously the first that comes to mind is USV. Uh, can you explain sort of how USV has done what they've done, what those numbers look like and kind of how far off the rest of the field really is from trying to achieve those superior returns? Yeah, we came across a blog post by Eric Newcover, which basically covered the University of Texas Endowment and Investment Management returns on a fund level basis. And they've invested in the top firms in the world, uh, all of them you've heard about. And what's interesting was the data on Union Square Ventures and their performance over time. So their 2004 vintage was almost 14 times DPI cash on cash return. Their 2012 fund was the most notable, almost a 23 times DPI. Like these numbers are basically unheard of in the industry. And for them to be able to return capital on that type of multitude on materially sized funds. So I think those funds were anywhere between um, 150 to 250. We have the, the, the data here. For those funds to be able to return that type of capital at that scale uh, is extremely impressive. So what we cover here is basically the, the strategies of them stay focused on key themes. Um, they have a few verticals that they've only honed in on like healthcare, education, and, and network effects. And investing only with high conviction in a concentrated portfolio, focusing on ownership, and keeping their fund sizes small or consistent relative to their strategy. There's a lot of things that have to happen from a portfolio construction and fund strategy perspective for this to happen. But they've proven that their formula works time and time again. And what we saw in the past couple of years, especially in 2021, was funds scaling outside and past what their strategy actually could execute on, making it very hard for them to actually return the capital they raised. And a lot of their unrealized markups having a very low uh, transition into true DPI. And those are the issues that we saw. We wanted to leverage the story of Union Square Ventures and their superior performance as a fund from a DPI perspective uh, to give more insight into what Canadian venture funds should strive to be and the strategies that they've used so that we can also think about how we can incorporate some of those ideas into our strategies too. Right. So, you know, what you're saying is like the, the, the fund sizes that, you know, USV uh, deploys, their strategy and their focus is something that we obviously have studied a lot at Ripple. What are the other factors that drive DPI and especially the differences between Canada and the US that you observed in this report? The main drivers of DPI are truly around ownership and exit. Either you can have, as we show here, like uh, if you have a $50 million fund, you need to own 20% of a $250 million exit or 1% of a $5 billion exit just to return the fund. So those are the two things you're playing with based off of the environment that you're investing as well, right? So that's what we talk about like Canada versus US. In Canada, like a $250 million exit is much more likely than a $5 billion exit. We only have a handful of those in the ecosystem, but we have a lot more in the 
50 to 250 range. So when we look at the numbers historically, hopefully this changes over time. But when we look at the numbers uh, on a hard facts basis, what we need to do as fund managers is focus more on ownership of these uh, smaller and quantum exits and barbelling that with U.S. investments as well, which is why Ripple also invests in Canada and the U.S. So those are the main drivers that we want to kind of explore as key teams. But I'll keep it how. Right. And so uh, as we've obviously gone on from fund one to fund two and now fund three, you know, we've started to see some of these exits happen in our portfolio and returning capital to our investors. You know, maybe explain to uh, the listeners exactly how we've seen our earlier funds optimize returns through this investment strategy that we've started off from day one with. So our view is that like with a concentrated portfolio, you'll be able to spend more time with the portfolio companies, get ahead of the death uh, value of death that they'll go through and graduating between pre-seed, seed, series A and beyond. And the idea is that for the non-outperforming outcome, so call it like zero to five X type of returns, we think those can all add up to kind of make up for the original capital. And roughly 10 to 15% of your portfolio will be the breakout businesses that go hopefully 100 and 200x into returning your fund into making it a top performer. So a 3x plus net DPI. The the theory for us is in portfolio construction, we want to have our basket of assets. 25% of them will fall probably within that zero to 3x type of return. We're able to drive 50% within that three to 5x return. And then the remaining of those portfolio investments will be much, much higher. But you need to own enough of your portfolio companies for that strategy to work. And our average ownership is roughly like 10% in our businesses. And we're striving for 15 to 20 in our fund three. But as you can tell, like if you have a kind of like a $50 million fund like us, like you have to own enough of the businesses so that the math actually works out for your return refund initially. And then later on in the, the latter years, maybe years like, eight, nine, 10, and beyond. Those are the where the money makers come in, where you have the portfolio companies that actually get to maturity and get to those billion plus outcomes. Right. And there's different models out there. Not everything fits uh, everyone's model. Uh, you know, Ours may be different than a lot of other funds out there, but we believe that ownership is really important. And based on the median exits that we've seen uh, in Canada versus the US, we need to adjust accordingly our ownership and entry price into those assets. Uh, and that has helped us return half of fund one already uh, from a 2019 vintage. At the same time, holding on to our winners and seeing those things hopefully continue to return, as Dom said, 50x plus returns, which will get us that 3x DPI to our investors. What are some other factors, though, that we do maybe to explain to the audience how we can try to drive returns, especially by getting access to the US market? Yeah, the, the main factors are really having the experience and the network access to customers, to key talent, um, to co-investors as well. Like, the, There's a lot of different factors that help propel a business from zero to one. And what we've seen in the US market is the ability for these companies to have access uh, to scale. So access to more customers. Uh, having more personal relationships with key buyers in the verticals that they're selling to. Walking down the street, having access to 30 of the top tier venture funds in the world. Having access to all the knowledge and insights from their advisors and angel investors that have gone on from pre-seed all the way to IPO. What we've seen in that market is what we try to do is take the learnings and the experience in that market and bridge it into Canada uh, because we don't have enough of those yet. 
uh, in the ecosystem. And we want to bridge that knowledge and experience and community that they have in the US where they're able to really propel these businesses from brute force in their network uh, versus in Canada. It's a, it's a lot harder to do that from what we've seen. Right. And by having, you know, so these US founders in our portfolio, again, as Dom was saying, we expand the network effect. We allow our Canadian founders to leverage their networks and their experiences. And then we also allow our Canadian founders uh, to find potential acquirers and buyers through those networks as well, which we've done you know, several times already in our existing portfolio. But I just want to come back to something you touched on briefly, which is the size of funds and how that applies to your strategy. You know, USV is considered one of the best firms out there, but they've also limited the size of funds that they raise every time because they want to know that they can return you know, meaningful capital to their LPs. Maybe talk about how keeping fund sizes relatively the same or small uh, for the formula that works uh, is a part of our strategy and maybe should be a part of other people's strategies as well. It depends on like the entry point in which you're spending most of your capital investing. So for a Series A fund, it makes a lot of sense for like $150, $250 million fund. We think like even that pre-seed stage, like it's it's impossible to deploy that type of capital based off the check size in which pre-seed and C-stage rounds are being done at, right? And we saw this so much in 21 when a lot of the Series A, Series B, or even growth funds started doing pre-seed and seed. And they basically pushed up the round sizes, pushed up the valuations, created this huge bubble. You saw $500 million or billion dollar seed funds be raised, which is crazy, right? Because like how many checks do you have to write uh, on the average check size, of like call it like a three to 5 million in the US on, on that seed round? Like you got to write like 300 portfolio companies within what, like two and a half, three years. So it's a hundred deals a year. So you're doing like 12 seed deals a month. Like it's, it's absolutely insane, right? So what we're trying to say is keeping fund size relative to your strategy and also relative to what you think you can return and upperform with is really important to keep as different vectors to think about from a portfolio construction and fund strategy uh, perspective. And at Ripple, we think a lot about this. Maybe I'll let Matt touch on this. Yeah, we think a lot about this because again, as Dom says, a billion dollar fund investing in the seed stage, you know, one, those companies can't deploy the capital you give them fast enough. And if they do, they're probably going to go way too far over their skis. And then in order for you to get actual, you know, outcomes from those investments, you know, you need to see, you know, over $3 billion of enterprise value just in your portfolio, depending on your ownership size, created just to return the funds. So it's really hard to one, deploy that capital over a fast time period, and then also see the exits and size that you need to even make the fund, you know, return its original investment, plus then getting a 3x for investors. And so we're, we're consciously thinking about that all the time, you know, but there are funds that we look up to, uh, especially in Canada, that have done this quite well. Boris at version one, Matt Golden and Mead and Jamie at Golden Ventures, they've all done this very successfully and executed on a strategy and investing across North America while being based in Canada. We look at them as strong partners within the Canadian ecosystem, and they brought a ton of great exposure to the Canadian ecosystem from their U.S. networks and their U.S. operator uh, partnerships uh, to allow more Canadian funds to build those relationships like we have as well. And so it's not like it's impossible. It's just that we're trying to say that there's a, a point at which being an investor is not just about returning capital. It's about returning a profit on that invested capital and do it in a fiduciary responsible way. You know, Dom, we and you share a common goal, like these other funds, like Golden Ventures and Version 1 and so many others in Canada, to foster a better innovation economy for our ecosystem here in Canada. And by getting the conversation started and talking about it openly on a platform like this and sharing a blog post like this, I think allows the conversation to become more front and center 
instead of maybe hitting behind the curtain a little bit. Maybe you can talk about our inspiration uh, and our aspirations at Ripple you know, to try to become the next Union Square Ventures of Canada. Yeah, historically, a lot of this has been uh, behind closed doors uh, for conversations. And what we want to do is leverage the data that we've seen from BDC, as well as uh, some public information and blogs out there to leverage that to talk about the strategies that have worked in the past to, be, to create global top performing funds, talk about our strategy and our historical performance relative to that, but also just open up the conversation on how funds can better position themselves for true success and keep programs uh, like BDC and Vicky successful in the long run and help them create very sustainable and hopefully self-sufficient venture funds in the long run as well, where in the past you needed a lot of public capital to support an attractive private capital. But over a longer period of time, hopefully what we can do in the Canadian ecosystem is let the results speak for themselves and let the funds speak for themselves and also have that be able to attract private capital on its own because of the strategies that are working in Canada and the exit values that have been growing over the past four or five years in Canada as well. And positioning ourselves and other venture fund managers to be able to capture all that enterprise value that's being created and not just letting it all leak back out to the US. Like that, that is the main kind of goal for this post. That's the main goal for our fund to be able to capture all this value and create a much more vibrant and exponentially growing ecosystem in Canada and partnering with a lot of great organizations like the ones mentioned so that we can help create a strong community and foster these connections. Uh, across North America and be a lot more collaborative from that perspective. Yeah, absolutely. We pride ourselves on transparency and authenticity at Ripple. And we believe in venture capital with our returns being spoken out loud is crucial for Canada to become a global leader in the venture capital investing world. You know, by openly discussing the challenges and strategies out there, we hope we can aim to elevate the industry and drive more meaningful conversation at Ripple. You know, our goal is to share insights, empower other fund managers and strengthen Canada's position in the global venture capital landscape. That's our goal, and, and that's why we recorded this to share it with the audience and listeners out there who may not know all the different intricacies of what happens in the venture capital landscape, and to show our appreciation for those who have come before before us and the ones who got it all started with BDC and Vicky, you know, over ten years ago, uh, and hope to continue the conversation with everyone out there. So, thanks again for tuning in. Thanks, everyone.